I am Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, work and process improv artist, definitely neurotic and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I am a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health assistance, and so much more. And it's all free. Just go to dweebsglobaldoc.org. I swear it's free. It's free. I am here today with Nancy Collins, a woman of many, many scenes. I'm going to focus on a couple of the most interesting to me. Nancy was an emergency dispatcher, a courier for an international delivery company, and has now currently turned her passion for helping people find long lost loved ones through genetic genealogy into a business called Kin Searchers. Kin Searchers. Hi, Michael. Hello. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. Where, I'm gonna start easy. Where are you originally from? I originally am from the San Francisco Bay Area and I currently live in Battleground, Washington. Okay, all right. Did you grow up in San Francisco? I did. I grew up in the East Bay, um, just kind of east of San Francisco on the other side of Oakland. I was born in Martinez and Bay Area resident until about three weeks ago. Okay, so you're a city girl. I am a city girl. Well, kind of, you know, suburban city girl. All right, well, yeah, I guess I kind of am too. Definitely have a lot of roots in that area. (laughs) Yeah, I love New York City, so I lived there for about 12 years. So I I love cities, but now I'm in the suburbs, so. Yeah, so you know what I mean. (laughs) You know what you mean. So you first, when you first became a 911 dispatcher, correct? That was one of your your first. I was 19 years old. (laughs) 19 years old. What got you into that? Um. I actually at the time was dating somebody in the medical field and they were an EMT and, you know, I worked at a hotel or something and I thought, oh man, I need to make more money. And they were like, they're hiring for dispatchers. And I just started, I applied and got the job. So, and I started making, you know, pretty good money doing it at 18 or 19. And I was doing that until about uh, 11 years or so. And uh, many, many interesting, you know, stories and events that had happened and people that were helped and all that type of stuff. But at the end, you know, it was really a very stressful job. And, you know, your life as a 911 dispatcher can definitely, you know, I had small kids at the time. So I was kind of looking just to go off and, you know, maybe try some other things and dabble in that so that I can actually kind of have a life as well. (laughs) Makes sense. Was the, was the training pretty in depth? Um, yes, it is. You, you know, you obviously take your basic first aid skills and all that type of stuff. And then you do more advanced as far as giving medical instructions on the phone. So if like somebody's giving birth or they're needing CPR, then you would give those instructions over the phone until help arrive, essentially being the in-between for medical personnel and, you know, the first responders. So is it non-top, non-stop excitement like we see on TV or is it mostly? No, 90% of the calls that you get are absolutely nothing. Maybe let's say 9% are definitely an emergency. 1% is just so hysterical and crazy. You have absolutely no idea what's going on when you get the call. <laughs> really? What are some so, of the, we'll start, we'll start on the, on the, on the, on the funnier side of things. What are some of the funnier calls that you've gotten or like nonsense? Um. I would say that we've definitely gotten well okay here's one funny story a guy in Alameda was over Christmas time and he was basically robbing this house and by doing so he was going down the chimney as Santa and he got stuck in the chimney and so he called 911 from the chimney to ask us for help so not only did the fire department come but the police came and he got arrested 
I feel like that's a story that's told to us when we're young. And you never but it's really- so true. It is 100% true. <laughs> it happens all the time. That's all the fun. time. And we also get the cat calls. I work for the fire department. You know, you, you see it, you hear it, the cat in the tree. The real thing. It's real thing. It's definitely a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> do people ever call just to say hi? They want someone to talk to? or They do, actually. We had actually quite a few homeless people or transient people that called 911 all the time to get from basically point A to point B. And there were times when a holiday would come around and, you know, a lot of us talk to them all the time and, oh, where are we going today? And they say, Oh, we just wanted to call and wish you a Merry Christmas and tell you that uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> you're like their best yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah, you're my best friend. But yeah, it was a pretty interesting job. It was a, a sad job at times, and it was a very rewarding job at times. And it's one that I, you know, I value the experiences and the time that I had with them. So, Did you ever get to meet anyone that you helped out? Um, I did actually. I met um, a couple people. One in particular, I met a lady who gave birth to twins on the phone with me. Um, those twins didn't make it. They were uh, basically around 25 weeks and they both were deceased. But she, her husband was away and I was basically the only person that knew about this and was talking to her and it really just affected me and so after I got off my shift in the morning I went over to the hospital and I bought her flowers and I got you know helped her get a hold of her husband and do all this stuff and you know it was just it was really really sad and at the same time I was just happy I could be there for her because it gives us closure too because sometimes you will have a call that really sits with you and resonates with you and you you know to have a little bit of closure with it is a good thing because we don't finish it from start to finish a 911 dispatcher basically they only get cut off at the phone level and unless you follow through with it if there is something significant it's always just going to be kind of unopened in your mind. Oh, wow. That's got to be hard to deal with sometimes. Yeah, it was. But like I said, more, I think we have more rewarding and stupid stuff than, than the the really bad stuff. (laughs) Okay. What, What happens when somebody calls and just, you know, I, I have something stuck in my hand. Like, how do you look up how to get something? St- so the first thing that you do is obviously you get the location and the phone number of somebody when they call, because you absolutely want to know where you're going, no matter what happens. And you want a phone number in case you get disconnected. And then after you get through the basic stuff, then you basically, you know, you go and kind of assess their injury or, or their need, you know, if there's a fire, what floor it's on, if it's a medical condition, what's going on, can you breathe, are you having these significant issues? And then depending on what their answers are, then you kind of go on to a different level of questioning, maybe how many, you know, it basically every question leads to another question. And it's kind of a prompt that you use as well. Like you kind of do both at the same time, while you're calling this person, that person, that person. And yeah, it's a fun job. <laughs> it's a pretty good multitasker. Just to kind yeah, of definitely. That is a skill that you gain or you have automatically when you do this job. <laughs> Great. Any other, any other stories that really, really touched you? Um, no, not. I mean, I took so many calls. Sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint a story. I mean, I have on occasion, I'll think of a story and I'll have a story that comes into my mind and I'm like, oh, do you know what happened? But when I just sit there and think about it, I can't really think of any one that stands out in particular. I got you. I understand. Has 
has being a 911 dispatcher influenced the rest of your life? You know, I honestly, I honestly believe it has. I mean, I definitely look at the world a bit differently in the sense of just the way I see it from the stuff that I had taken over the phone, because you see the good and the bad. Um, and I, I definitely think that my love for investigation and different types of other, you know, passions that I have now come from that side of my life, because on top of taking the calls, sometimes you have to be able to research things and you have to look into things a bit deeper or hear things a different way or kind of just figure out things and use a different part of your brain in the whole situation. So I really believe that that helped to develop it for me so that I could be a better, you know, genealogist and genetic genealogist. Got you. Is it typical for someone to stick with being a 911 dispatcher for as long as you were? Um, I think so. The rate is basically one year. If you can make it past the first year, um, then you're likely to stay for a very long time. So it, that first year is really the telltale of the strength of if you're going to make it or not. Kind of thing. It's any, any most people stay even longer than I did. I just was done. <laughs> so. Any PTSD or anything lasting? That uh, no, I don't think no. I don't have any like PTSD from the job. Um, it's definitely very stressful when you're in it, mm -hmm. but now that I've been out of it for so long, I mean, I don't, it doesn't even face me as much. I mean, I just have a lot. I remember a lot of the good things, the good part of the job, the, the parts that are you're with the team camaraderie, you know, you're working and you're helping people and the, you know, you've built relationships with all the, I mean, that's another part of it is I have a lot of good relationships with people from that time in my life and it's all a big community and you just feel like you have a second family. So it's a really rewarding job. Um, even though it's so stressful. So. Right. Well, Thank you for doing it. Uh, I'm sure you've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people in that many years, so. Um, yeah, I helped quite a few, as long as all, all my other team members there. And um, like I said, it's definitely a good part of my life that I hold dearly, so. So after you were, what 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 led you to leaving being a 911 dispatcher? Um, like I said, just having small kids and um, just wanting to be home with them more and kind of just be a part of their lives and not um, be so stressful all the time. And, you know, it, you know, it's just it was family, basically, and just being home with my children. OK. And is that when you got into a career? Uh, no, I waited for a while, um, probably about four years. I did a little school for paralegal and my my bachelor's. And then I did go into career, but that was about 2017 or so. So I haven't been doing that that very long. It was more of a job, job kind of at the time to get back into the workforce. But um, I mean, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Kind of stayed for about three years or so. Okay, you're not doing that anymore at this, at this point? Um, I'm still like do it part-time and I'm still with the company, but um, I mainly focus on doing my genetic genealogy and the stuff with cancer. So what got you into the genetic gene genealogy? And actually, what is genetic genealogy? You can give so genetic genealogy is basically the use of DNA in conjunction with traditional records, such as vital records and um, census records. And basically what it does is it helps solve brick walls and it helps to like if uh, brick walls within your family tree and or cold cases for law enforcement. So basically it's using your DNA to help break down a brick wall in your family tree. I mean, that's the, what does that mean by a brick wall? 
So what, like what a brick wall is, it's basically a mystery or something that needs deeper research in your family tree. You know, you come up to a, a problem per se, and that problem, maybe your great grandparent didn't, um, know who her father was. So now you have an adopted great grandparent and you have to figure out who her great grandparent, her, her father or mother was based on whatever the DNA is or whatever research methods you choose to use. And so that's a brick wall in a genealogy sense. Okay. Okay. Um, can you walk me through the process if somebody comes to you and they're like, I don't know where my birth mom is. So, yeah. So basically what you would do is, um, if, if you were adopted and you came to me and you said, Hey, I want to, I want to find my birth parents. Okay. So I would first then direct you to obviously trying to get what we call non-identification information through the state and do all these little kind of base resources to get started. Those are clues, they, things that come to you. Um, I would have them test at one of the commercial DNA databases. Um, there's probably four or five of them that they um, could test at and and then there's another database I would have them, once their DNA results come back, upload it to um, GEDmatch, which is another big database out there. Um, but that one is free. So I would walk them through all that process. And then once their DNA matches come back, I would go through, I would sort the DNA matches. I would um, basically look at the closest DNA match that that person would have. I would hope that I could figure out who their family tree was. I would build that family tree for that cousin match. And I would try to locate other common ancestors within the DNA to try to figure out which one of the descendants is a birth parent. That's the short version. Okay. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it's easy for you. <laughs> it's easy in my head, but for other people, when you first try to explain this stuff, sometimes it's a bit like, oh my God, my head's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm assuming. Hopefully I explain that okay. <laughs> I think I understand. It sounds like it's it's, it's essentially very time consuming, and it's knowing where yeah, it to is. Look, how to look absolutely not giving up, knowing the question. Yeah, so you know, you become very close to the adoptees. You know, the people that you're trying to help, you become close to the adoptees. You become close to the your clients that are just looking for a mystery in their family tree because you are so you feel connected with them almost in a way, even when, you know, like you start working on their tree and it, it's like, you know, their family so intimately now and you've built these trees and you know, their DNA and you, they're, you know, they're begging you for an answer. And you're just like, okay, no matter what, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to figure this out. And I mean, I've had some cases that four years it took me to solve their case. And, and I got to tell you, it's like the most rewarding thing ever when you do solve it and you just hope, I hope nobody else figures it out first because I've spent so much time on this kind of thing. <laughs> Not even because of anything else. It's just like, it's such a, it's a drive to find the answer. What could, what could happen over a four year period that all of a sudden you find the solution? Is it a call? you? Get? So one of the things with the DNA and figure out who like your parent was, if you're adopted or, or a foundling or something like that is you are, you're essentially looking with on all these DNA matches with this bit of information you have about the parents, whether it be a date of birth or, or what have you. So you're trying to build out these family tr familial tree lines. And some of them are third cousin range, which is extremely far back. So you're building hundreds of trees maybe, or, you know, maybe 50 to a hundred different familial lines. And that's, what's taking you so long. And at some point when you get the right line, 
you will find the right parent. But sometimes there's within a mystery, there's another mystery and another mystery and another mystery. So you have four years because maybe you found what you think is the right line, but then you get down to who you think the the grandparent is and none of the kids fit it there's you're, they're not coming back as a close connection and you're like wow okay so there must be like an unknown parent or unknown parentage for that person so then you have to try to figure out that one <laughs> so it could be many different issues that come about and you know and sometimes it could just be that not enough people have dna tested with that line and so you're just kind of waiting for a closer dna match somebody that is a first or second or you know maybe a a few third cousins as opposed to somebody that's a fifth cousin but that would just take way too long <laughs> have you had any cases where your family trees have crossed with when you've already researched oh yeah yeah that that definitely has happened i mean pretty much everybody's related to everybody <laughs> when you get into this stuff and you look at everybody's tree you're like Yep, everybody's related to everybody because I know that person from that one. And then sometimes it just meshes together and you're just like, okay, I need to stop reading obituaries and stop looking at family trees and maybe go talk to some live people out there because <laughs> you're doing it all day. <laughs> so. Wow. I, I'm assuming it takes a lot of phone calls though. I'm assuming you you're, you talk to a lot of people in a lot of these searches. and just... I do actually. I mean, we, we, we might call somebody up and just say, hey, um, your sister might have had a baby, uh, but they're, you know, they're not living. So, we, you know, we don't say it like that, of course, but we might call up a sibling or somebody of the person that we think could be the birth parent because they're not living or something happens. And we could say, hey, we need your DNA. We need to prove that this is the case. Or it could be that we call the birth mom directly too, if they are alive or living, because a lot of people, you know, they're older cases or a birth father and and have a, a discussion with them and kind of say hey we think you could be the birth dad I am that person that calls and all of a sudden your next door neighbor has that kid that he never knew about for 40 years ago so sometimes they like us and sometimes they absolutely hate us <laughs> <laughs> but we also write a lot of letters because uh when you do find the answer and you want to get results you basically you know, writing is probably the best way to do it. It's more really? personable. People have time to sit with information. They can make the choice to give you a call and you're not feeling pressured. So I, I like that a lot more than calling. No, I'm surprised. I would think there. writing people would just forget about it and it'd be gone, but. No, because usually also I do it registered mail so I can make sure that they got it. So it, when they get it, then, you know, they'll, they'll read it if it's usually signed for because they think it's a big deal. And for the DNA testing, you're using like 23andMe and those types of services? Yeah, there's uh, four different, you know, kind of major commercial um, databases. There's 23andMe, of course, that's an obvious one, Ancestry, FTDNA, and MyHeritage. Um, like I said, there's also GEDmatch, and GEDmatch is a free database where all of those databases come together and, and people can upload their DNA there, and then they can match, you can match with everybody else and the other databases that have uploaded their DNA there. Right, but they had, each person had to have uploaded it. So, God, what is- Yeah, so it's kind of based on whoever has uploaded it there. But I will say it is a very big database, mm -hmm. which is very good. And GenMatch is also the database, which I'm sure you have heard with all the 
criminal genetic genealogy where they um, are law enforcement is using that particular database. So the the uploads have gotten more. The problem is, is that at one point, um, because of privacy issues, um, they made everybody's account uh, private. So then law enforcement can't use it anymore unless people go in and they opt in to make it public. So it really brought down a lot of the information that law enforcement can use in the, the, those types of cases because a lot of people forgot about their DNA there. So that part kind of sucks. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, have you, you worked on a case with a foundling? Yes, actually, I still have that case, and I think I've been working on his case for about three and a half years. What exactly and is a foundling? A foundling is somebody that um, is abandoned. So basically, you know, you he was a baby that was born in 1980, in the early 1980s, and he was found in the basement by the janitor um, in the German barracks in Germany, like the U.S. German barracks. So that's a foundling and that's somebody he was left there and, you know, they rescued him and he was put up for adoption and he was adopted in Germany. And um, I met him on basically Facebook where he was posting about his um, looking for his biological parents and I offered to help him with DNA. So. Well, how long have you been trying to work on that case for? It's now about four years. We've actually located his birth mom. Um, and that went really, really well, uh, except for uh, about two months after they had their initial call on um, chat, Zoom, because he's in Germany, um, she, she died. So it, it, it was really sad. So now we're actually looking for the father, but she wasn't able to tell us when she was living. So now we are working with his DNA again to try and locate his biological father. Um, and we are running into brick walls, but those brick walls are slowly getting solved. And um, we actually have information about the case on our website at kinsearchers.com. And if you want to know more about that, you can go and check it out okay. there too. I have to ask, did the mother have a reason for leaving him? So there, yes, she did. Um, there was basically she had the ex-husband and her separated or not ex, they were still married. They separated. And when they separated, she went home and she met somebody else. And, you know, he was stationed over in the, in Europe and then uh, they reconciled. And when they reconciled, she was already pregnant. And so she, um, instead of telling people that she was pregnant and kind of coming to grips with that, um, she delivered the baby while her husband was on tour and then he came back and the baby was left in the basement. So, wow. Did she, yeah. she purposely left him in a place that people would find him, I guess? or um, Kind of. He was hidden, but he was warm, which was really good. Um, and, and again, I should say also that he does have two wonderful half-sisters, and they actually flew to Italy to meet him. And it was a really, just a really sweet and powerful moment in the case. So finding the father is really a huge priority for me now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a wild, that's a wild story. And that's right. And so what we're doing is, you know, when you have a foundling, you have no information, nothing. The only thing you have is where they were found. And if maybe there was a letter left in the blanket or, you know, kind of anything like that, but they, you know, so we had nothing to go on for that case except for the DNA. And that just shows you how powerful DNA is. Oh yeah. 
That, that makes me think of uh, the amnesia cases you always hear about on TV. Have you had anything like that? No, you mean like uh, they don't know who they are? Yeah, they just woke up one day, they're 30 years oh, old. Oh no, that would be great. I would love to get those cases <laughs> like in hospitals or something, but <laughs> but I mean, I don't I don't hear about them all the time, but I, I we could totally figure out who they are. Hopefully it won't take four years, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I know you were contacted by a lady because she thought you were her mom based on your name. <laughs> oh, well, she didn't really think she I was her mom, but I think that she just, so she asked me if I knew any Nancy Collins born in 19, I think it was like 32 or 42, um, or if I could be her and gave birth to a baby in Louisiana. So I was like, because we had mutual friends in common. She was looking for her mom. I was in some search groups type of thing. And, and I said, oh, I just need to know your story because this is going to be a mission for me. And so we actually ended up figuring out who her parents were, and which was very cool. But the whole, it was really funny because I, I talked to the birth mom and I had to ask her because, I mean, this woman had been looking for her parents for 30 years and there was nobody with my name that, that that they had not talked to about giving birth that, I mean, it wasn't possible. It just wasn't the DNA didn't match up nothing. And so when we figured out the parents and they had very different last names, I had to talk to the birth mom. And I said, why did you name your, your, you know, yourself, Nancy Collins? And she said, Oh, well, I really just love Tom Collins drink at the time. And I just thought it sounded good and it would be a lot harder to find me. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just spent four years of my life looking for you and it's all based on an alcoholic drink. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah. Um, so I know you did a lot of work with the, with the California fires. I wanted to hear a little bit about that, what you did for them. So we've actually done work with both California and Oregon. Um, the paradise fire, we did work um Basically, it's a, a volunteer search group um, with Search Squad and also with the Paradise Missing People. And I had kind of joined a group and I was kind of watching it because, you know, I lived in California at the time and I wanted to help. And I started seeing people post, you know, like for looking for people or there was this master list and they wanted to, you know, so many people on this list. And I was like, yeah, everybody, like we have to help. So I went to my other volunteer search group and I said, hey, does anybody want to come help find some missing people over here? Just like kind of with genealogy records and kind of, make, you know, making contacts and calls to neighbors and people in the area and seeing if we can figure out what it is, you know, they needed. And we, I started to help in that group and, you know, very quickly the, the admins of the group came to me and said, Hey, do you want to help with more? And I said, yeah. So all the girls came over and we started just knocking out the post and they had a list that they kept track of and they brought it to the sheriff. And so anybody that was on that list, they made sure to have the people called and we, we dropped it off with them. So we, we moved, removed quite a few people from that list, which was Definitely very rewarding. And we, we, um, we had a lot of fun times and a lot of hard times doing that because some of the stuff was extremely sad and stressful. And, you know, some of it was really rewarding as well. So, you know, and then in the organ fires, it was kind of similar. There wasn't as many people missing per se, but we did have, you know, quite a few people that just joined the group and 
asked if we could help to locate some people just to make sure that they were okay type of thing. And so we did it with them as well. And we, you know, if it happens again, I'm sure that we will, it's all the same group of people. We come together and we just work together on these fires and, you know, it's, it's a, this is all volunteer work you do. Yeah, definitely. That, oh, definitely. And, and it's worth every second. So one of my best friends lost her house in the fire. So it, it was like extra rewarding just because I, you know, I could help some way or another. So, and you also, I know you, you could, you're called angels and you help people find their birth parents so um search angels is what we're called and you know a lot of that is from the volunteer group but that's where it kind of stem for it from it's you know a search angels is but somebody that does the sleuthing goes and does the work and you know and helps adoptees find their birth parents so okay. and this is a group people can find online right then they can yes okay. um uh, there's actually quite a few of them online okay and then what type of clients do you have at, for kin searchers to come, to come to you? So uh, we have different sections. We have adoptees, obviously, and birth parents, if they're looking for somebody. Um, those are an obvious case. We have lawyers and we have different um, air hunting or um, professionals that will use our service to locate people or, or even serve you know, papers or, or stuff like that at somebody personally, that type of thing. So we have that area. And then we have the um, genetic genealogy for um, investigative um, reasons or, you know, the, the criminal aspect of it. Um, we're offering those services as well. Okay. Do you also offer any type of workshops? Oh, you know, actually, yes. So we actually, <laughs> sorry, we just started. Um, we're working on workshops with conserters and we're hosting a uh, genealogy workshop on Meetup, meetup.com, I believe it is. Um, and it's this Thursday is our first one. So it's really new and obviously um, something that we're going to hone out, but we're just starting that. And we're also doing individual um, classes. Like you can, you can, secure an hour with me and I will work on your brick wall with you via chat or via zoom or via, you know, messenger if you need it. And so we offer that service as well. Okay. I would, I would think that you'd probably get a lot of people that just want help doing their family trees. I know that I started to, and luckily I had a brother-in-law that was super gung-ho mm -hmm. and he went all out with it, but and if it wasn't for him. <laughs> right. It's like, huh, but that's not fun if you have somebody else do it like that. Like, so a lot of people, they'll do their own research and then they'll get to a point where they're just, they, they don't know exactly how else to, you know, what to do or, or how to do it, or they don't know where to search for certain records. I mean, I get a lot of people that say, I searched on Ancestry. Well, Ancestry is a great place and a great resource, but there's a lot of other places that you can use as well, because if you just search in one place, you're never going to find it. So that's when it, it does pay actually to hire somebody or to, to have a professional come in and, and just know about the other resources and the other things that, that you need to enable to prove and focus on the answer to that question. So you'll hold their hands, essentially get them over the, the top. Yeah. And I think it's more fun to work with somebody on Zoom or chat and it more interactive, more, you know, just just a nicer experience and just sitting in front of the computer by yourself, reading obituaries and, you know, just looking for records. So yeah. I think it would be, I mean, my cousin and I, we do it on a different level. We have wine and we do it. So that turns out to be a really fun night too. 
I wonder if you could have that. You could have like wine parties, like wine. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Uh-huh. I don't know if my liver would be able to handle it. I'd probably be like, yeah, I have wine. Yeah, just a tad. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you. Is there any last story or, or anything last you'd like to share with us before I, before I let you go? This has been incredibly interesting. No, but I mean, if we have about, you know, we have different stories on our website every week, just reunion stories. You want to see something to smile about, or you just want to, some of them aren't solved yet. So if you want to take a look and just kind of see what you'd be missing out, you can go to our website, www.kinsarchers.com. But other than that, no, and I absolutely love your sister. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> that's right. People don't know, but my sister is your business partner. Yes, but she's amazing and she is really, really getting good at the genealogy stuff. So <laughs> she has been essentially doing it without realizing it probably for the last mm-hmm. 20 years. So I bet. And she's like, genealogy, I don't want to do that. I want to go find all these people. But now she's into it. So it's a good thing. <laughs> she's a quick learner. I've done I've, I've, I've been in business with her before. She's good. So yeah, you know, worry about there. She definitely pulls her, pulls her, pulls her hat, pulls her fair share. <laughs> So. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to meet you finally. It was nice to meet you as well. Let me just make sure everyone knows. Please go to kinsearchers.com. That's K-I-N searchers.com. And Nancy would love to help. And she's really good at what she does and doing it for a long time. She's helped a lot of people, not just in kin searchers, but obviously in like most of her life. You've dedicated most of your life to helping people and you get paid for it, which is like awesome. It's, it's so nice that you can combine the feel-good aspect of helping people. and It is, yes. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to connect people with their family or their roots because it, it really brings the closure that I think everybody deserves. So nice. Well, kinsearchers.com. And then again, this podcast has been sponsored by dweebsglobal.org and they give free mentorship help. So they're also doing free work for people and helping people out. Anything from mental health to resume writing. We have over 500 mentors around the world. So please, dweebsglobal.org. Thank you. See you all next week.